This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host and daughter. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi... I really like our show today because it's on journaling to help grief. And I know you're you're a therapist and in private practice right now. I'm not doing any private practice, but I know that journaling is so helpful for a lot of people, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I just recently heard somebody speak, and it was someone that had done a study with firefighters in Europe. I mean, not firefighters, police, police uh, men in Europe. And they said that it really helped them when they had gone through trauma, to journal because there's something about writing it down that gets it out of our systems. And I didn't really know that they had done research on that, but they have. You know, I think even moving your hand in that movement, which I find a, a little bit concerning that people aren't actually writing anymore. It's one thing to do it on your computer, too. But there's something about, you know, doing it, um, making those hand movements and, and kinds of things. And our guests might be able to talk about that a little bit, too. But anyway, why don't you introduce her, Hyde? Sure, I'd love to. So our guest today... Her name is Loanne Mayer, and Loanne raised six children and studied healing for 25 years, but this did not help her soothe the difficult relationship with her mother. Her mom's death catapulted her into the healing possibilities beyond the veil. Using transpersonal journaling to talk with her mom gave her the tools to deal with the tragic death of her own daughter and to discover that mother-daughter love never dies. Welcome to the show, Loanne. Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. I'm so proud to be here with you. You have really set the bar very high for those of us who are trying to help heal other people who are grieving. Well, I think you are pretty humble because I had you wrote that little bio for us, and you left out the fact that you have written this wonderful book called Celestial Conversations, Healing Relationships After Death. And if you are interested in writing and after we finish this show, finding out more about Loanne, you're going to want to get her book, Celestial Conversations, Healing Relationships After Death, because she really gives you an idea how she has transformed herself and how you can do it. And by the way, Loanne, I actually have a PhD in transpersonal psychology. <gasps> do you really? <laughs> do. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I have done some Reiki in my time, haven't I, Heidi? Yeah, you're very good, actually, at Reiki. Well, it's wonderful to have all these tools. You know, we need them as we move along in life, don't we, Gloria? Absolutely. And one of the tools that I want to talk to, to you about when we get going is the rapid eye desensitization. Um, so remind me if we get into the show, Heidi, or you, uh, Loanne, uh, a little bit later because it is such a great tool. I, I want people to know to know about it. So, uh, I, you know, you talk in the book about your relationship with your mom, and it was difficult. I was saying to Heidi, we have a relative, to not be named, who is very, very difficult with her children, extremely. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's hard to understand why some people are difficult with their family members. But up until the time your mom died, you really had not resolved a lot of issues. So talk about how you started doing that. Well, I tried in my own way. Part of my studies about healing and metaphysics was to learn how to become more completely free of any judgment or criticism that I had on life in general. But my mother in particular, she was a very um, old school uh, person who was very quick to judge others 
who had was taught judgment through her faith and was very uh, silent when it came to telling anything intimate with anybody, except perhaps the doctor or someone who had a Ph.D. in something, a male in particular. She was very reverent to the male image. But I was her only daughter, and we just found it impossible to talk about anything that was intimate for the two of us. She was wonderful at other things. Uh, she could find doctors for me, for my kids. She could give information about education. But when it came to talking about things that touched the heart, just didn't work, just didn't work. And it was very hard for me since I was her only daughter and lived very close. And when she died, you said that that was the first time you'd seen her peaceful. You know, really completely peaceful. Oh, Gloria, I I had never in my life been with anyone who died, but I was hospice trained enough to know the implications of what happens, and my mother was um, had been uh, in a, a, a place where they warned me that she was dying, but I didn't believe it because I thought I knew everything. You know, when you think you know everything, you don't know anything, <laughs> I've learned. But in any event, I was with her when she died, and she was uh, she just gave me this incredible glimpse of the other side, which was extraordinary because she was always terrified of the angel of death. She was raised Catholic and was divorced in the 50s and was absolutely certain that God was going to get her when she got to the other side and just shook with terror. So the very fact that at the very end of her life, the last 45 minutes, I watched her not only not shake anymore for the first time that I could remember, but to sit up at a 45-degree angle and look at something incredibly awesome, as the children would say, so beautiful that all the lines in her face just disappeared. And she went, oh, oh, oh. And I thought she was going to get out of bed. I mean, I just reached over to catch her. But instead, she laid down and died, just like that. Wow. Wow, that's powerful. So there you are. Mother is now gone, and Mother has gone peacefully, and you are sitting there still wondering about your relationship with her. So what did you do? Tell us. In fact, I said it out loud. Wait a minute. I have questions. What just happened? (laughs) Honestly, it just came right out of my mouth, and I thought, oh, my, you know, my training, my background was that that was the end of my opportunity to even try to get information. It was very, very sad. And yet she left me with this incredible glow of wonder if I could just reach out to her, if she could just come back for a moment and tell me what she saw, what she felt, how it was. I felt like I could let go of what I was holding on to in my heart about my judgment, my resentment, all those things. I knew it, but I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so you sat down and started writing. Did you take a class? What happened? <laughs> no, I, I actually waited a while. My life was in turmoil. There were a lot of things going on in the family. And I kept thinking about what if, what if I could have just reached out to her and, and said, Mom, explain this to me. And then another hospice friend of mine said to me many months later, you know, you like to write. Why don't you get yourself a journal and get it out of your head and put it on paper and stop thinking about it already? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's a good idea because I have done journaling from time to time for very specific reasons in my lifetime, and I do like to write. So I went out and bought a book, a journal, and I wrote a letter to my mother saying, please, Mom, if there's any way that you could reach over to me and help me let go of this stuff I'm holding on to, I believe it's possible. And if you can do it, it might help me become a better person. 
and I will leave it to God to help us find the way. And you started doing that, and then you started journaling from your mother, answering, right? Oh, I tripped over it out, honestly, Gloria. Uh, I have a, a procedure that I do with prayer and meditation and then writing, and then the very next time I picked up the book, I did the same thing, prayer, meditation, and I, I had more questions. I'm a Leo. What can I tell you? And uh, so I put pen to paper, and I wrote, Dear Loanne. But the interesting thing about that was that I wrote it exactly the way my mother wrote my name. My whole life long, I wrote, well, from grammar school, L-O, capital A-N-N-E, and I wrote L-O-A-N-N-E, and I knew that was mom. Ah, so she she had a space in between, or you had, or? I do. You do. I okay. do. She wrote it just like Joanne, you know, most people write Joanne, but I knew right then and there something clearly had happened, and I kept writing. I kept writing word for word. It was almost an automatic response. I couldn't stop, like you would be standing in the middle of a of a doorway as someone was coming towards you that you hadn't seen in a long time. You just couldn't move. But I kept writing, and she encouraged me to continue writing and get this thing finished. And I want to say to those who are listening out there, these conversations are in the book, Celestial Conversations, and I think you'll really enjoy taking a look at them if this is something that would interest you. Now, let's flash forward to Cindy and what happened there mm-hmm. and how you were able to use what had been given to you in in more or less uh, you know, a more normal situation of a loss, having an older person die, even though it is very tough. And let me say, tell you, Loanne, it's interesting for Heidi and I that our number one search on the Internet for almost a million people is parent loss. And those are adults looking for information. So this is going to be an important show for people. But anyway, flash forward to Cindy and, and how you were able to use what you'd learned from your mom's death. And more importantly, why? Uh, my mother and I began a process that was very much like emailing back and forth. It took very, it was very quick, and we were asking questions, answering things, helping me, just me. But five months after I started doing this journaling with my mother, um, I went to England on a writer's retreat, oddly enough, and while I was there, our daughter Cindy died suddenly. Um, we couldn't understand what could possibly have happened. Cindy had a young boy who was autistic, and I think if she said it once, she said 200 times, I'm going to have to live a long time because my son is going to need me. So all of us felt like this was a long-time commitment that she had made and would never leave this boy or her other son either. So to find out that she had died uh, was Oh, more than traumatic, but more importantly to me, I couldn't find out what happened. There was some um, resistance on the part of her husband and family to give us the information as to what actually did happen to her, and so I went to my mother. I went to the journal, and I said, you've got to help me understand, as any mother of a child would, is she okay? What happened? Where is she? Is she surrounded by love? What can I do? How do I do this? And, uh, and the continued uh, letters with my mother helped me to get back into the flow of writing with her. And on the very day that Cindy was to be buried, Cindy jumped into the middle of a letter that I was writing with my mother. Mm. And I knew it was Cindy because the energy changed. It was, Mom, i got to talk to you. you. You need to understand. And it was just real fast. 
as opposed mm-hmm. to my mother's soft, gentle, wise, loving response. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, maybe there's a way to talk to Cindy. And I did. Mm-hmm. And what did you find out? She died of a drug overdose? She died. What In her, in her book, which it's, the story is in there, she talks about the fact that she doesn't remember um, taking anything, although she did have a new prescription that morning from her uh, psychiatrist. She did have, she did have uh, an alcohol problem. And so she thinks in, in, the, in the letter that was written, I didn't remember doing anything, but all of a sudden, Grandma was there and Uncle Artie was there, and both of these people had long since died. And so she felt that she was with them and they were talking. Her Uncle Artie was particularly dear to her heart. He was a Benedictine priest that she loved when she was a child. And she was carrying on this conversation, so she says, with him and my mother sitting there going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And all of a sudden she realized that they were both dead, and she knew that she was dead. Wow. And she said it was just, you know, she wanted to run right back to Mm -hmm. her children and her life, even though it was awful. So this information you've been journaling, you kind of kept it secret in your heart because it's not uh, something that the whole world embraces. And then you uh, took a class from Dr. Jennings, right? Well, actually, I I wrote for about three years. I told no one, not even my husband at first, uh, but I could tell something was happening that was good for me. Then I told the family, then I told my grief counselor, who I was uh, very deeply, uh, uh, I loved her dearly, and she told me that I should think in terms of writing a book. And I said, there's no way that's ever going to happen, for many reasons. But my friend, who turned out to be my publisher and editor, said to me, I think there's someone you ought to meet. And there's a college near me, and this Dr. Jennings is a professor of psychology for 20 years there, but his love is transpersonal psychology. And my friend Lorraine introduced me to him, and I told him what was happening, and his eyes lit up, and he knew exactly what was happening to me and called it a part of transpersonal psychology. Now, we've had Dr. Jennings on the show, and uh, we talked a little bit at that time, didn't we, Heidi, about how the uh, psychology community does not embrace anything that's not evidence scientifically based, right, Heidi? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's particularly true in the East Coast, but now when Mm -hmm. he helped me to understand that the Association of Transpersonal Psychology has 140 countries that belong to it, it seems to me that we're the orphan children here. <laughs> we need <laughs> I, I more. I agree with you, Loanne, and, and I've had I've been trained both on the East Coast and on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and I have seen a big difference. And my mom has lived in both places too, and been trained in both places. And in fact, there is a great school called the California Integral School of Studies. There's a couple of places in Northern California where my mom lives that mm-hmm. train people in transpersonal and in spirituality, et cetera, and psychology. Yeah, and our good friend mm-hmm. Francesca McCarthy is a person who has a, an institute for uh, learning transpersonal psychology. I think Stan Groff's probably from here, too. I, I don't know if he's still around. Called the Energy Medicine University. Oh, yeah, Energy Medicine University, oh, yeah. in, Energy Marin, Medicine yeah. University in Marin with Francesca, 
Francesca. And we're hoping to have her on our TV show. She's great. I wanted to ask you about another uh, thing that you had that I think is important, the journaling, and then talk a little bit about uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and that's called EMDR. I just wanted to mention that because, um, as Heidi has found with the fire department, that's been powerful for, for some people who have had bad memories, hasn't it, Heidi? Absolutely. There was a lot of firefighters after 9-11. I worked with the fire department for many years, and, you know, talk therapy and talking couldn't, they were stuck in a trauma narrative, and mm-hmm. they just weren't getting anywhere, and because they had been down at the site finding bodies for 10 months. After 9-11, and so they went and did EMDR, and they said it was absolutely life-changing. I found that, too, Heidi. Uh, My uh, grief counselor introduced me to the idea of it, and uh, even though I I, I didn't know anything about it, I was willing to try anything at that point in time, but one of the things that was so important to me was this memory that I had when I was in England when I called home to tell them how wonderful it was to be in Glastonbury and how much I loved my trip. And I took money in this, you know, the red phones that the Brits have. It's like, it's like a lobster red, and it's a very unusual-looking phone from an American. And I remember as I, I talked to my daughter, she said to me, Mom, Cindy is dead. And as she did that, all my change went down, and all I remembered was looking at this telephone, this weird object that just had that, the worst possible news that any mother could could have. And that stuck in my mind. I would wake up in the night, you know, thinking about it. So Suzanne started with EMDR with that particular memory for me. And I didn't think anything could possibly come from it. It it didn't make sense to me when she explained it to me. Tell the audience what she did with you specifically, because I read about it. I thought it was the best little description of of what what it's like. Can you just give us this little nutshell? I'll give you a short version of it. I don't have the the the, the story in the book, but what she did was she just had me picture the moment, the place the seat I was sitting in, the and she had me give it a number from 1 to 10 that would tell me at what point the pain was for me. And it was off the charts as far as I was concerned. And then she had me do some uh, eye muscles. You know, you, cha- you look in different directions. You, they have a very definite program. Your therapist puts their finger up, right, in front of your eyes and you follow yes. it? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then she also, there was a little bit of a touching on the knee when she was done with that, and then she would go on. It probably lasted 10, 15 minutes. It seemed like nothing to me, very non-invasive, not threatening at all. But at the end of it, she would go back and she would say, okay, let's, let's look at that picture and tell me what the number is now. And to my great surprise, it went down from 10 to 7. And you can't deny it. I mean, the number is right, right in your face. You know what it is. But it took a period of time, and that's what some people have difficulty because it takes time. To me, it was very effective. I can think of that phone right now, and I have absolutely no feeling about it one way or the other. That, that's what's amazing. You, the memories are still intact, but the feelings around them are gone. The, exactly. The anxiety, et cetera, which I love. 
Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, we're, we're chemically, we're an electrical system, you know, with chemistry, and there is some way that moving your eyes and, and having that happen is doing some reprogramming. And um, uh, Kathleen Shapiro, uh, I think, is the one who discovered this. And uh, I just want pe- people out there to know if you've got a People have terrible memories of trying to revive family members and all sorts of things. I was talking about the fire department and your memory. And we need to reprogram those because we can revisit those memories as though they just happened. Right. And you can gain from that feeling of empowerment that comes when you can think of that particular horrible episode for me, which was my first knowledge of my daughter's death, and be able to move forward from that without that stopping you in your tracks and just turning into a... Uh, you know, a wash of, of anxiety. So, but I think you have, in most cases, you have to ask. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think everyone is trained in this. And Suzanne was very much into metaphysics. Yeah, you have to find somebody who's trained in uh, EMDR. And there, there are people mm-hmm. around the United States that are. Eye movement desensitization and, and reprocessing. Yeah, because it's effective. And um, yes. it, it's actually quite quick considering years of therapy. So, you know, and sometimes you've had years of therapy. I want to talk about something else that really helped you. And we were talking, my mom was talking to me about it before the show, and that was the Compassionate Friends. Yes. Um, I'm on the board of directors there, and my mom was on the board of directors for six years, and we're both very involved with this organization. And mm-hmm. you found them how many years after your daughter died? Oh, almost immediately. My, uh, my husband's physician recommended it to me. And funny, it was right down the street from where I lived, but I never knew about it. And I went, it was a wonderful nest. I tell everyone about Compassionate Friends because it was literally a nest. Even though you can have people who are, are helping you in so many directions, many times we go to professionals. But when you sit in a group with people who have actually walked the walk, who understand from a gut sense of what you are going through, and in my case, there was people who had survived you know, they had moved beyond their original trauma and they are, were making the world a better place by finding ways to help others, you know, in their, in their own journey of healing. They were a great uh, example of how, what is it they say, out of your greatest hurt comes your greatest mission. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that. there were people in our group that, I mean, they just, they were helping by holding the meetings. Some people were helping by setting up things that, you know, um, scholarships for people who were, uh, you know, drunk drivers who were uh, put in prison, changing laws. And then there were people who were just surviving. And some of those people in the beginning were the very best for me because they don't ask you to say much. They just ask you to come and be comfortable and to be part of the group. And it's only one for us. It was only once a month. But I felt like I could go there, I could say whatever I was thinking, where you couldn't even do that for your family, Heidi. You know, everybody in the family is different, so the kids didn't want to talk, so we wouldn't get upset, you know, all that sort of thing. But these people, and run by people who are clearly healers, they're really intending. So for me, seven years, uh, I was involved in uh, Compassionate Friends, and I made a very specific point of putting that in the book, because... Even now, when I recommend it, they'll go, what? The what? And in some cases, there is nothing. Like where I live and I go to Texas, there is nothing in that Austin area that I could continue my 
journey with, but I, I really encourage people to look for it, find it, and, and get involved. And also, you know, people can start chapters, and people should go to thecompassionatefriends.org, and you can find all about, all about the organization. And, and if you're ready and, you know, you know, you're a year out or so or two and you want to start an organization, uh, there are people there that will help you do it or find one in your local area. And uh, it is a wonderful organization. Well, Loanna, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I just want to uh, give people your website. It's www.celestialconversations.com, and there's a lot of information there, even books that I have read that I recommend, uh, not just my own, but others that might be of interest to those who are looking to read. And there's a meditation there, the meditation that I do to before I do my own journaling that I share anybody can have and try it on for size to see if that helps. Uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing for me right now to be able to find something that I can give back uh, after being through this difficulty and being helped by places like Compassionate Friends. It is such an honor to be able to touch a heart, especially a broken heart. Uh, well, Loan, thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll look forward to seeing you hopefully at the next Compassionate Friends uh, conference, uh, which is going to be I'd in like Chicago. In uh, July. So we hope you'll join us there. We'll, We'll all be there. Thanks for listening. God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.